This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd, and Tom Reed. Hey everybody, it's the post-draft edition of Civilized Barking. Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd basking in the draft hangover, another off-season banner will be hung in First Energy uh, Stadium. Champions again. Uh, Jason, in seriousness, I thought the Browns did well. We don't know. We don't know when the NFL is going to even have practice, uh, let alone um, you know play games and get back to normal business. That will complicate things for these rookies. We will talk about that. But just on the surface, before they ever report to Berea, let alone get in a uniform and do this, I think the Browns ran the draft well. I think you can nitpick but not majorly quibble or worry. I think you can say that they filled some needs, that they added future picks, that they ran it with a plan. And so this is not only a welcome change, but really until you start looking around the division, I think it's fine to have some optimism about this franchise. Yeah, I mean, you know, Paul DiBodesta said for months now it's all about process and being process-oriented, and and that's his role. And, and you know, I, I really like the Browns' logic in this, and they didn't try and get too cute. They didn't try and, and trade down. Uh, they stood – we, we talked about it in our last podcast. They stood right where they were. They got the tackle that they wanted. Uh, they, they, you know, dropped down a little bit in the third, picked up an extra three for next year, which – you know, it was pretty obvious at that point they were they were looking safety. Uh, so they got the safe. They got a really highly ranked safety that they wanted, and they picked up a pick for next year, a, a pretty valuable pick for next year. I like what they did. We have no idea if any of these guys are going to be any good. I sort of cringe a little bit. You know, draft grades in general make me cringe twelve hours after the fact. Uh, but I look anyway, just like everybody else. And you know, of course, Pro Football Focus gives them an A plus for the draft, and that's all right. well and good until you go back and look and say that pro football focus also graded the Corey Coleman, Cody Kessler draft an A, and then it makes you close your computer and go outside and take a walk. (laughs) Uh, So we'll see if any of these guys can actually play football in the NFL, but for the, for the weekend, for what, you know, as fans, you wanted them to get out of the weekend, the positions you wanted them to address. I thought they did a great job. Right. So let's start with the process here. Okay. So um, Browns have some obvious needs now and into the future. Uh, the Browns are starting again, which they do every year, and that leads to some uncertainty and some unknown, uh, both internal and external, because externally you sit and you think, okay, well, we think we know what the needs are, but it could be something totally different because they are changing offenses. They are changing defenses. And they, you do bring in your own guys. It's, it's the nature of the beast, right? So we just look at the process. Okay, don't give up your assets and take a risk on Trent Williams. You paid Jack Conklin $30 million guaranteed, right? So – just sit there and take the tackle. They did it. You need a starting safety. Well, Grant Delpit, who is judged by pro football focus, the number 15 prospect in the draft, who if you go back months before what he says was the high ankle, the only reason he played poorly, you know, this is a first-round player. Dean graded him a second-round player. You trade down to the middle of the second round, you pick up a bonus pick, and you get Grant Delpit. You think he'll be healthy whenever you play football. Process. Outstanding. You don't love what's in front of you. You need to add to the defense. You add a third-round pick, which was always on your checklist and always part of your plan, which we know grading Browns draft for 20 years, there either wasn't a plan in a lot of them or you couldn't tell what it was. So process, great. You know, can you get into defensive tackle, center, only one linebacker? Sure, you can get all that. But the process was add to the defense first, 
And I really felt like, and this is the big process point uh, for me, you know, yes, Kevin Stefanski loves tight ends, but I really felt like when they got to the third day of the draft and you're taking extra projections and you're looking ahead, they said, we have filled our immediate needs to the best that we can do right now. We have chosen this path through the offseason of all the money to Austin Hooper, all the money to Jack Conklin, and first-round pick Jedrick Wills, right? So we just take guys that we think fit, and that's how you end up with three offensive players. So I have questions about linebacker. I mean, the Ravens run a read option offense and incorporate nine tight ends with the fastest quarterback or second-fastest quarterback to ever play. Your linebackers right now have proven a whole bunch of jack nothing in this league. But the process of the draft, of these seven picks, of what you added, and what your long-term thinking is, I got very few quibbles. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I was kind of thinking, it felt to me like there was a shift. And I, I almost asked Andrew Barry this, but he didn't really answer a whole lot of questions. Um, he doesn't really give a lot of answers. I, I wanted to ask Deep Podesta this, but we didn't get him after the draft. It felt to me like there came a point of every team says they're going to draft the best available player on the board. And it's not really true. It's the best available player compared to what we actually need. Like the, the they weren't going right. to take a running back, right? They weren't going to take uh, a quarterback in, in the, in the first round or anything like that. But at what point does the draft turn to become now we are going to take the, we're going to, we're going to draft on value now. You understand what I'm saying? Like, okay, it, it goes right along the lines of what you were saying. We addressed safety. We addressed tackle. The biggies were out of the way. Hey, we didn't think this guy was going to be there. And and I go to uh, the center that they took in the fifth round. You know, is that really a pressing need on the team right now? No, it's not. But Nick Harris was there. They obviously like him. So we're going to take him because we think that that's good value there. Harrison Bryant, you know, you could argue is kind of the same thing. Mackey Award winner. Uh, did they necessarily need a tight end? No, but you know, like you said, Kevin Spansky loves tight ends. Am I crazy, or did you feel like there was a point in this draft where it switched from needs to okay, this is really good value for where you're at? It may not be a completely pressing need. Maybe after linebacker, maybe after they took Phillips is is what I'm thinking. I, I don't know exactly. Am I nuts? You've been around these drafts longer than I have. It just felt to me like there came a point where it became value drafting over necessarily needs no that that's the exact read i have on it because the needs are on defense jason now right um andrew barry and stefanski both keep saying we love david njoku he's in our plans they've now hired not one but two of his replacements this offseason so i'm not sure i buy that (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) Um, however i i will say this uh and i'm gonna write about this um stefanski kind of explained uh at the combine that there are two different tight end positions right and even though they the guys are trained to play all of them, and even though they can line up in three tight ends and use the fullback in different places and ask guys to do different things, there's basically the move around and catch passes tight end, and then there's the inline tight end. Well, Njoku's not that, and you didn't pay Austin Hooper 23 guaranteed for him to block, right? So to me, Njoku is your bonus piece, move around, back up to Hooper, or play in certain spots. And Harrison Bryant is a big body who – you know, yes, he caught a ton of passes and yes, he won that award, but you're going to train him to block and to play in line because the other guy, the only other guy you have at that spot is Farrell Brown, who's a big offensive tackle and who I can't believe made the team last year. The only reason he did is because they didn't have anyone else. There's a tight end shortage in the league. So you, you're just, you're adding, you looked and said, okay, Harrison Bryant, uh, 
did this, dominated his level of competition. He's not a phenomenal athlete, but he went to the Senior Bowl. He's prototype size. He looks the part. And we're going to get him in, and we'll figure it out. So you know a year from now, Jason, that Harrison Bryant and Hooper are going to be here. You don't know who else is or isn't. It's just it's just a good addition, right? Um, they, they The previous group had extended Treader. You know, Nick Harris has played right guard, has played center. Um, Treader's tough as nails and has played through injury. But you got to take care of, of the quarterback. That's the whole theme of this offseason is taking care of the quarterback. So you bring Nick Harris in and you let him, you know, learn to take control of the huddle and of the offensive meetings and all the things that J.C. Treader has done over his career. And if he has to play right guard, he has to play right guard. Donovan Peoples-Jones, people are excited about him, five-star recruit from the region, uh, putrid Michigan offense and still jumped, you know, through the TV screen and made some plays. 186 picks went before he went, so I don't know exactly what it is there. However, he's big, he's fast, he's returned punts, he's played in the slot. Like, it's a complete bonus pick. We don't know where Odell's going to be in a year. You know, if the Browns start having practice in two months, Odell and Jarvis probably aren't even going to be allowed to participate. Take that kid, put him in there, see what you got, right? I mean, like I said, I, I really like what they did, and I'm going to keep harping on. This team has to tackle before I believe they can win, and I just don't think the defensive personnel is near good enough right now. But A, maybe I'm wrong, and B, these are the explanations for why they made the picks that they made. You you seem to ding them a little bit. <clears throat> excuse me. You seem to ding them a little bit on the Phillips pick. Uh, mm-hmm. Why didn't you like that one? Well, first of all, you know I know these draft guys, but Dane knows them inside and out, right? And he's yeah. not always right. Just like, but he grades the guy a fifth rounder. You know, I, I just think historically I'm a little hesitant about guys that played on all the defenses with all these stars. And I just look around and Malik Harrison was there. He went the next pick. The kid from Colorado went to the Eagles. Uh, Ten picks later. Uh, Akeem Davis Gaither, who, you know, the foot must have been an issue, which is why the Bengals got him in the fourth round. I just liked other linebackers a lot more than I liked Jacob Phillips. Now, do, do would I be able to pick Jacob Phillips out if I saw him at Giant Eagle here in an hour, Jason? No. But I do watch a lot. I've immersed myself in this, and I just didn't understand, A, that pick, and then B, him being your only linebacker. So, you know, we've talked about the plan and trusting this. And maybe they're going to go get a veteran linebacker or maybe they're going to make a trade and get one. Or, you know, maybe they're just going to ask Carl Joseph to to be, um, you know, more of a linebacker than anything else, especially against a lot of the offenses that they're going to play. But I just keep coming back to Lamar Jackson, right? Yep. To trying to win in the AFC North in November and December. And, you know, you made the conscious decision to move on from Schobert and Kirksey. And you've replaced them thus far with B.J. Goodson, who's just a guy, with Mac Wilson, who showed some promise, but is just now as old as the kids in this draft and has a long way to go, and with Sione Takitaki, who did nothing as a rookie. Now, he was a third-round pick, and maybe he was he's ready to come in and be that physical thumper that the last regime thought he would be, but he didn't show me any of that, so I'd have to see that. And I just look at this linebacking core, and I think, I don't know. I don't think it's very good. Yeah, <clears throat> Andrew Barry said, you know, there was a time when Joe Schilbert was the second year guy who hadn't really sure. proven anything and, and they're going to give these guys every opportunity, but boy, I'm with you. You know, I, I mentioned that to you after the draft was, you know, I, 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 they're still really light at linebacker. And that was your point of, and they play in the AFC North, 
this is not the division to be linebacker light. You know, I made the point when I was writing final thoughts, the Steelers have taken a linebacker number one in, with their first round pick in what was it? Three straight years and five of seven. Obviously they didn't have one this year. That's all the Steelers do is draft linebackers in the first round. And, and there's a reason for it. And I think, you know, where, where, where the team is located probably has a lot to do with it. Uh, but I'm curious, Jordan Elliott went in the third round. He was a top 25 rated player by PFF. And I'm not going to keep going back to PFF throughout this entire thing, but you know, it is fascinating to me. Obviously I think the Browns think a lot like pro football focus does. Why is he a top 25 pick analytically? And why did he wait until the third round? Uh, because the, the athleticism, um, you know, 302 pounds down from uh, 330 and, and moving like that. Um, and teams had questions. He's a transfer. He was only a one-year starter, and he did carry too much weight for most of his career. So those guys get flagged. So, you know, I don't know the teams had him 25 like PFF did, but I know it's, a lot of teams were intrigued by him. And then, again, he's still there at pick 80-whatever because they're just not sure. Right. And, and sometimes, Jason, a guy like that can be 40th on a team's board. And it only takes one team to choose to take a safety or receiver instead of him. And he drops 25 picks. And yeah. maybe, maybe that's what happened with Jordan Elliott. But the Browns are just betting on the upside potential. And this is another interesting thing here. You know, I loved the Andrew Billings signing. That was maybe my favorite addition to the defense. But it was only a one-year deal, and I thought, well, that's that's interesting. Do they just want to keep him motivated? And, and the reason that I thought that was interesting is because Ogan Joby's in the final year of his deal. Sheldon Richardson has two more left, but he's going to be 30, and all the guarantees are paid. And now you've added another defensive tackle. So dominant teams have dominant defensive lines. And when you have guys like Elliott, like Miles Garrett, really like Ogan Joby, so athletic, they can move him around, you, you need to have that flexibility. But I'm sitting there looking – at the pass rush, the edge guys, the linebackers. And now the Browns have four defensive tackles, but they don't have a whole bunch there. And maybe Miles will just wreck games and count as two guys, right? But I'm like, hmm, you know, this, this is interesting. So that's a long-term play, and it makes you wonder if there isn't some nibble on a Richardson or an Ogunjobi at some point uh, if they don't make that move to address another need because this is where they chose to go now. Well, I'll take it back, you know, not last year, I guess it was two years ago now, where we kept looking at each other going, Ogan, Joby, and Miles are never coming out of the game. They're playing every single snap. And it was just on the, the snap counts that they were putting up was was pretty unheard of. Yeah. Uh, last year, it came down a little bit. This year, I, I think, I, I would think that it'll be more in line with the way the most teams play. And I can't remember now who it was, Stefanski or DeBedester or Barry, one of them during the draft had even said that it's almost like a hockey line where you're trying to get guys out and you're trying to keep guys fresh. That hasn't always been the case in Cleveland. Uh, with, no, with Jason, that hasn't always been the case, but I'm going to cut you off because that's been said after every draft. They took John Hughes in the third round and they're like, oh, wait till you see this guy stack and shed. I mean, this is the p missing piece of our defensive tackle group. It's going to add everybody up. And like, <laughs> was that's it ever great. a hockey line? It was a shitty one. <laughs> I mean, look, they went and got Claiborne, who's 32 and who's played in this league and been a good player for a long time. And he is either your third down rush guy or your, you know, take up some dirty work snaps and keep Vernon fresh uh, for this. But the drop off after those three guys, Vernon, who's still, I'm not convinced, is here, Claiborne, who's 32 and has been in the league for 10 years, and Miles, who you think can, can do it all, and still we're waiting for a full season to be put together 
at, at an outrageous level, right? Behind him, you have Chad Thomas and Port Augustine. You have nobody else. Yeah. So when they make that trade out to get to get that extra three and go get Jordan Elliott, they give up on Zach Bond, who some people graded as a first round pick. And I know he had some medical stuff, and I know he had the diluted sample. But the New Orleans Saints were wanted to come up, and they gave you that future three for Zach Bond. If the New Orleans Saints go twelve and four like they do every year, that picks at the end of the third round. And Zach Bond is a linebacker and an edge player. So, I like I said, all of my questions about this whole offseason, let alone this draft and this specific round that we've somehow spent the last 10 minutes talking about, <laughs> they all revert to the linebacker position and show me what the plan is and show me how this team is supposed to win. Um, it's a blessing that last year was already a disaster. You played the Niners, you got flat run over. Right. You played Kyler Murray and he just made you look silly. But you still play in the AFC North. You play Derrick Henry this year. You play Ezekiel Elliott this year. You play Saquon Barkley this year. Like, I just looking and seeing, uh, I, this is what it comes back to. Who's playing linebacker? Who's playing safety? And who's tackling on this team? Well, you just made me really sad. <laughs> <laughs> All the optimism. I just, you just flushed it. You just killed it. Um, are you? We we touched on Njoku a couple of times. David Njoku, I, I guess we can cross Cream Hunt off this list. But David Njoku, uh, Olivier Vernon, are you surprised they're still on this team? Are they going to be on this team in August or September or whenever life resumes? I think we can safely assume Odell and Kareem are going to be here. Is that a safe assumption? And where where do you think we stand with uh, Njoku and Olivier? Yeah, I think they're all safe assumptions. Um, I'll start with by saying I'm not surprised. You know, I don't know if a single veteran player, one one veteran player, Marquise Goodwin, I know was traded during the draft. I just think the circumstances there wasn't. And there's no market for Kareem Hunt because of the off-field concerns, yeah. right? And because teams are going to draft running backs. So um, I am almost certainly certain that Odell is here. At this point, I am fairly certain that Vernon is here because I think the Browns put out the Clowney thing only to see if Clowney would take extra money or only to let other teams know that they were in the market, Yannick and Gakwe or, or whomever else. I think when they went and got Claiborne, I think that they're fine. I don't think they're going to pay the money to Clowney. I would gladly be wrong on that. I don't yeah. think that they are. Um, Njoku probably the most likely to get moved. And then Kareem, um, you know, you look at the building of this team, I think they're just going to be a power run team if, if they need to be. And so I think you worry about Kareem Hunt's free agency and future later. And also what's lingering out there is that after this year is when Nick Chubb has to hold out. That's the only way he's going to get his money. And a lot of people say an analytics-driven front office will never give a running back money. Well, maybe Nick Chubb's different. He's the perfect squeaky clean prospect, never been hurt, just trucks people. But having that option only helps your leverage, right? So – do I think if some team loses a running back and is willing to give up something of value for Kareem Hunt that the Browns would trade him two months, four months, five months from now? Sure. But right now I would put that in the uh, 25% or less folder uh, as we sit here and talk about it. How much is this team going to be in, in 12 personnel? <laughs> Stefanski was talking three tight ends, running three tight ends out there yeah. and, and trying, to keep de- trying to keep defenses in their base package and out of the nickel. How much two tight ends is this team going to be running this year? Every well, I play? Think, yeah, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I think it was 54% for the Vikings two tight ends and 57% multiple tight ends, 
which meant three or, you know, somehow stacking them uh, yeah. in a different direction. So, yeah, I think the base offense is your two starting receivers, your one running back, um, you have your fullback and your tight end. Or, you know, the, getting Janovich tells me that maybe it's not going to be two and three tight ends all the time. Uh, but, it, but it might be. And it might be one receiver, two tight ends and a fullback. Um, certainly on rundowns. And I think that's why you go get – that's why I think if you believe them that Jedrick Wills was the top tackle on their board, and I do believe them when they say that, that's a button up and run it right at you type of guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, we'll see what happens at right guard. That's now the only position on the offense that's open. But you look at the starting 11 – on paper, it doesn't include Hunt. It doesn't include Njoku. It doesn't include Harrison Bryant, who you just added. Um, you know, it doesn't include Farrell Brown, your primary blocking tight end. But yeah, I I can envision a whole lot of of Farrell Brown and or Harrison Bryant with Hooper moving around, with Janovich being in there, and you know, I think the three receiver sets um, are going to be reserved for third and eight or for a matchup they're trying to exploit. I think this is going to be a multiple tight end, use the fullback. And that doesn't even talk about the times you can try to get Chubb and Hunt on the field at the same time because you try to get your best 11 out there. Is this throwback football? It's the, it's the, what you're describing is not the NFL that we see from a lot. Of, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing by any means. Don't misconstrue. I don't want anyone to well, misinterpret what I'm saying. But this isn't three and four receivers and throwing the ball all over the field. No, now keep in mind, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen both both produced yes. big numbers. I mean, yes. it's not like they they just ran it to because that's the, all they could do, right? Um, but yeah, no, I, I think this is going to be, you know, we the alignment is the word that we're saying, right? And I think you know Alex Van Pelt kind of came out of nowhere as the O coordinator. There was no known connection to Stefanski. Well, you know, they coached in the same division for a long time. Alex was in was in Green Bay for a long, long time, and I ju- I think that philosophically, um, you know, I'm of the belief that Alex is going to call the plays because I don't think he would have come here without that opportunity. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think Stefanski laid out this is what we're going to be. We're going to go get a fullback. We're going to go get at least one more tight end. We have these two running backs who are freakishly good and and similar. Uh, both should be NFL rushing champs right now, right? <laughs> like. What do you think, Alex? What can you do with this? And I think the most underrated player in the AFC North is Joe Mixon. Alex was there. I, I think that there's a real vision for how this they want this to be a run-first offense, which is not a knock on Baker Mayfield. I think it's goes back to the whole theme of supporting Baker Mayfield in this offseason, which they've done. Well, they tried throwing it all over the field last year, and we see how that worked out. So I'm, I'm, I'm welcome to try something besides whatever that was that we saw last year, because <laughs> I'm not sure what it was. But that you, was Okay, awesome. how about we work on 15 plays during the week and we, we focus on those 15 plays on Sunday? How about we, <laughs> we, get, we get in the huddle and Alex or Kevin or whomever signals the play into Baker and Baker gets the play and looks at the other 10 guys and calls the play. And then they come out and they do it. They break the huddle before there's nine seconds left on the clock, and they come out with 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 a mission to attack the defense in a certain way or to set something up for later. And that doesn't mean he can't audible. It doesn't mean he can't come over and offer input. But like they they practice the plays, and in their eighty hours of game planning between Monday and Thursday, they want to attack the Titans in a certain place and attack the Bengals rookie linebackers in a certain place, and they run those six plays 
with that in mind. I mean, stop talking nonsense. This is the Browns. We practice 15 plays and then run 15 different ones. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, you know, you touched on, you touched on Van Pelt calling the plays. I'm excited to hear that. I've said all along, you know, we saw it last year with Freddie and I was the proponent all last year. Hey, this is why you brought the guy here. Let Freddie call the plays. But now that we're past that, I, I'm all for the coordinator calling the plays for a first-time head coach. He's got enough yeah. else to worry about, enough else to do. Right. Worry about that. Let Alex call the plays. I, I agree. I, I agree completely. And, you know, Kevin Stefanski has to be the head coach. He has to be the boss, and he has to build relationships with these strong personalities on this team. And he has to tell guys, we're going to clean up the messes from last year. But I also think that the point of paying the Bill Callahans of the world right? The Chad O'Shea's of the world, yep. the Alex Van Pelt's of the world is to rely on them to do their jobs, to be involved and, and to get the most out of those guys, right? They get the most out of their guys and Stefanski gets the most out of his coaches. And so I, I absolutely agree with you. And again, this is, this is old Browns and these are old scars and people here, the head coach is going to call the plays and they automatically think disaster because we've seen it, right? Um, just like you go into the draft thinking, oh man, this is going to be a mess because we've seen it. Uh, but, but I, I agree with that. Um, we'll see how it all shakes out. And again, to me, it's a much bigger deal of when they can get together, when they can start building and get these guys around. We saw last year, you know, for so many years, the Browns were just so talent deficient. They had no chance. And then the dysfunction made it an avalanche. But we saw last year that it's more than talent, that it's simple discipline. It's simple alignment. It's gaining confidence and going. So the first month of the season, when you have a new staff, you're going blind anyway. The Browns are obviously hurt right now by not having the guys in the building this morning doing things. You know, OTAs were supposed to start on like May 20, 20th. Let's just say that this Friday is, is May 1st. You get, you know, you go through the first phase of the program and then you close it the last four weeks with actually being on the field. They might not be in the building at all until training camp. Training camp might not start on time. So they're losing ground here. But again, if you just eventually get those guys on the same page, and tr your coaches trust in each other and what's going on. Like all of a sudden you can be a competitive, relevant football team. It's not supposed to be as hard as it's been for 20 freaking years. I want to touch on <clears throat> Donovan Peoples Jones one more time. And then let's shift to, I, I think we've covered the draft Then let's shift to what this is going to look like here moving forward. If we have any sort of idea, but Peoples Jones, one more thing about him, you know, urban Meyer is known for hyperbole. You know, everything is the greatest. This guy's the most wonderful. But it kind of caught me dead in my tracks when Urban, you know, did a, a podcast with, uh, what was it? The Letterman one. They all run together to me. What's the letter? Letterman, yeah, Letterman Row. Letterman yeah, Row, so yeah. He sits down Letterman Row and says Donovan Peoples-Jones is like the best receiver, high school receiver he's ever seen. Mm -hmm. Now think about some of the guys Urban has recruited at Florida, at Ohio State, to play the receiver position. How many guys, and, and, and the thing with that kind of concerns me about Peoples-Jones is the same thing that concerned me about Greg Little. It's the same thing that concerns me about David Ajoku. You got to be able to catch the football. Yeah. And he's got too many drops for my liking for a receiver. And there's questions about route running and everything else. These are, these are the simple things that, you know, you got to be, you got to be able to run a route. You got to be able to catch the football. But the athleticism is through the roof. I, I think you could be your starting returner right away next year. How often, it doesn't feel like it's very often, but you would know this better than me, a guy who is that highly recruited out of high school, a guy who goes to a big-time school like Michigan like that, 
that does not work out in the NFL. Uh, you know, T. Higgins was below him in the in the recruiting yeah. in the high school recruiting rankings, and he's the first pick of the second round. C.D. Lamb was like tenth in that class. I'm going off the rivals rankings, and I'm doing this off memory because I just looked the other day. I think I have that right. And C.D.'s obviously a first round pick. How it it feels very rare of someone of his pedigree to not work out. Well, first I would say that Urban Meyer has said that before. He said it about LeBron James, and that guy never caught a single pass in the NFL. Well, that's what so. I'm saying. Yeah, Urban's known for his hyperbole. Everything is the greatest. Right. Everything's amazing and awesome. But, but Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer, who's one of the greatest football coaches of our lifetimes, coached wide receivers before he was a head coach. Yeah. So not only did he recruit Donovan Peoples-Jones, and not only is that the rare recruiting battle he lost, right, but – he coached against him. So you're right. That that I'm just being sarcastic about the LeBron thing, obviously. That I mean, that does hold some weight. Um, I am going to call around and ask ask people who were involved in this process why he dropped. Because I, I don't know. I, I knew he would be a third-day pick. You know, it's just the, the production never matched the talent. And some of that is the offense. Some of that is, you know, just, I don't know. Is Who's there throwing something him the ball? More? Look right. at some of the traps that was throwing the ball to him. Absolutely. You know, Michigan has, has had a Stone Age offense and they've had bad quarterback play and they've tried to fix it and it just hasn't worked. But, I mean, this was the spark score guy. His spark score was the same as Henry Ruggs, who went number 12 in the draft, right? He has played – sometimes what happens with these receivers, and this was Corey Coleman. Corey Coleman scored 20 touchdowns his junior year at Baylor, but he didn't run routes. He played one position and he just ran past Big 12 or SMU defensive backs. Yeah. People's Jones moved around. He played in the slot. He's a super smart guy. You know, like there, there's big time potential here. And the reason I like this fit, even though, like I said, my obvious concerns are why did so many teams pass on him five, six times? Like the Browns don't need him right now. The Browns have Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, right? They might need him to return punts. They, you know, they might get some snaps for him, but they can groom him and they can say, Whatever it was, Jason, consistency catching the ball. Maybe he's not the most polished route runner. Maybe he was lazy in some routes because of his talent, which also happens to guys at that level where they just are so much bigger in a college offense and dominate corners who, who really aren't trying to come up and press them. You know, just a year of polish or even two, right? He's an early entry to the draft. You might be onto something here in terms of just guys who are bigger and faster than most. And when they start to get a feel for the nuance of the game, of little things that make them more consistent catching the ball, little ways of how to get open. I mean, ideally, Baker Mayfield is going to be here a long time, right? And we don't know with all the money that Austin Hooper, Jarvis Landry, and Odell Beckham are getting, we don't know what those guys' long-term future long -term future is. But sometime in the next couple months, Donovan Peoples-Jones at 21 years old is going to sign a four-year contract with the Browns. And they don't – so many guys before them you know, Greg Little completely overdrafted second round. You mentioned him. David Njoku completely overdrafted first yeah. round. This is a bonus pick, and it might pay big down the road. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Where they got him, why not? And again, it goes back to the value draft that we sort of opened with of at some point here, it shifts from need to, wow, we didn't think this guy would be here. We don't need him right now, but we can develop him down the road. Uh, we'll see. May 1st, you know, on Friday, the NBA has already told teams that they can start reopening their facilities in states where the stay-at-home orders are starting to loosen a little bit. I would think that Cleveland falls under that with the Cavs. I, I would expect Governor DeWine, as we record this Monday morning, I think we'll know within the next few hours here 
what Ohio is going to look like as phase one reopens. Uh, how does this impact, if at all, the NFL? And hey, listen, none of us have any answers right now. I understand that at the end of April, we still don't know what summer and fall is going to look like. <clears throat> I got a high school senior and I keep telling him, buddy, I don't think college campuses are going to be open this fall. I don't think you're going to be living in a dorm this fall. Right. What to, what do you think this NFL season is going to look let's, let's back it up. What do you think the NFL off season is going to look like with mini camps, with training camps? Do you, do you think any of that is going to be even a possibility and how will teams handle this? If not, yeah, so I think it's a possibility. I mean, the one thing the NFL has said, Jason, is that no facilities are going to open until all 32 can. Until all of them open, yep. Right, so they're not going to let the Browns come in and have OTAs, right, when the, when the Giants can't. So I think uh, the NFL has kept teams abreast, and I think there are not only ideas being shared, but there are plans on three or four different levels. However, and again, I'm speaking a little over my head here, but I, I've asked around. Um, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that any of the formal offseason program, which for most teams, you know, almost every team goes in some version of early to mid-April to mid-June, is, is going to be out the window. So from there, if we get past June 10th, we get to say July 1st, you know, will the NFL develop a plan to allow teams to have one minicamp, one veteran minicamp, one rookie minicamp, uh, a two-week OTA period? I think all of those things are in play and they're all being discussed. However, if 32 teams can't report to training camp in the neighborhood of July 28th, like they normally do, then now, you know, now you're in a whole different set of contingencies. And I just think right now, three days short of May 1st, no one knows that to be true. So we we know the schedule is coming over the next 12 days. And we've heard from various reputable people that it will be set in a way to where division games are pushed back in the year. And early in the season, there will be either cross-conference games or cross-divisional games. So if two games or four games have to be whacked, you do it and you play the season. Um, I think that's worst case, but I still just think until teams know or until the NFL can have an idea of what it's going to be like in late July and August, can teams travel around, can teams leave for training camp, can teams even gather you know, is there a way to keep people safe? I mean, 250 people are involved in an NFL training camp. And, you know, for all the holes and all the questions about the NBA's plans to play on an island or baseball's plans to play in Arizona and all of that, like you can get those guys there and you can go. The, and the NBA could play in a high school gym realistically. The NFL, Jason, these million, multi-million dollar facilities that house these guys and house the, you have to have those. You cannot set up an NFL team at an NAI college in the middle of Montana because coronavirus hasn't hit there. You know, you have to have the best facilities and it has to be safe. And you have so many people, 90 guys go to camp, 30 coaches go to camp, 30 trainers go to camp, all your scouts, all your equipment staff, all of everything. Right. So there's certain complications and coaches obviously and players and quarterbacks and specifically the rebuilding again, Cleveland Browns, would love to have time in June and July to get everybody together. But I think more likely it's Camp Baker being held in LA or Austin under, you know, either not following guidelines or under guidelines of 12 guys at a time. Right. I just don't see any way that there's anything formal in, in the NFL in June, all the way through June 
And then the big question looms out there of what happens in late July when it's supposed to be getting to business. I, do, I really don't think to most teams that losing this time is a huge deal. It's a complication. It's a headache. It's a disappointment for the rookies and for the new coaches. But get to training camp, get that hurdle of getting 250 people in a place for three, four weeks and getting back to business after there's been no business for all these months. Man, that's what looms out there, and that's going to be complicated. Are you convinced we're going to have a season? Yeah, I, 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 I feel like that they're hell bent on having a season. And I feel like all these ideas and all of this will be to have a season, but you know, I just, I don't believe it'll be in front of fans and I don't know what it'll look like. Uh, Again, this is me speaking way above uh, my 2.9 public school education, right? (laughs) Um, Way above sitting in my mom's basement, reading about linebackers. Right. Uh, But I, I just, Right now, that that is the read. The NFL will, wants to have a season, but I'm just not sure what it's going to look like uh, in terms of fans and, and even getting started with training camp, which will be even more important if you don't have any formal offseason stuff. Uh, I want to touch on the draft format and what everything we went through, and then you can wrap us up and get us out of here. The uh, What did you think of the virtual draft? I, I thought the booing of Goodell was silly. I didn't like that. But all in all, I'll tell you what, I much rather would – lay on my couch and sit in my chair with the Brown zoom call on in the background, waiting to hear Rob McBurnett or someone else say, okay, here comes so-and-so than to be stuck in the room in Berea hours upon hours upon hours. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, You know, from, from reading about people around the league, it seems that they kind of enjoyed the break. Uh, Fans seem to appreciate, you know, obviously Cliff Kingsbury won the draft. But just your thoughts on uh, the virtual draft experience. And will any of this be incorporated next year when the draft comes to Cleveland? Or do you think next year we'll be back to the, everything that we've always known it to be? Well, first of all, screw the draft. Cliff is winning life. That's a different podcast. <laughs> that was unbelievable. That was unbelievable. And my first answer to anything you say there is someone who's been around this for as long as I have. Um, it it just shows the absurdity, like these guys that they overwork and they, everything is, is too much when they say, well, you know, it wasn't so bad being at home with my wife and kids. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> yep. um, but yeah, I, first of all, kudos to those. And I wrote about this last week who made it go smoothly. Um, it was a hellacious few weeks for people that work in it for teams, for people that work in security for teams, for people that work in video, for getting all of these moving pieces. I mean, some teams, Jason shut their facilities and just said they're shut. Now, others said, okay, um, all non-essentials are out. And to your GM and head coach, you each get to pick three people and you got two days and then you're out. You know, in some way. But when this happened, you know, pro days were on. People were all over the place at pro days. And especially with the Browns, you had coaches who probably hadn't moved their families yet. and uh, You know, all this other stuff. So uh, for making the actual draft go as well as it did. Kudos. Uh, I thought after a really slow and awkward start to the production that it turned out to be phenomenal. I mean, getting in all those guys' living rooms, seeing the raw emotion, um, seeing the coaches and the GMs at work, people love that stuff. Yeah. You know, and and I think the hardcore football people will say, hey, you know, some guys slipped because we were we had questions about injuries or didn't get to see an official 40 time or whatever. But it just went to watching the film and trusting what you saw and all of that stuff. So um, I don't think that the NFL would stick with that format. I think we'll be back in draft rooms and be back in this. But, you know, maybe some forward thinking organization says, 
Uh, we don't have to have draft meetings the morning after Easter. We can allow our scouts and coaches to like hang out with their families for a day and we can meet on zoom for four hours and then they can fly in. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like uh, they, they, Teams want pro days and they want private workouts and they want visits because information is key. And I know early in the process, and I know I said this before, when it came off as them whining, when Goodell said we're absolutely having the draft, like that's how you lose your job is you draft a player who can't play because he has a bad knee or has an arrest or something like that. Right. So they wanted the full process, but this worked to what we know. And, and, you know, over time we'll see who it works for. Um, I think, you, again, if you, you want to praise the Browns, four SEC players to start the day. Well, what were those? Were they drafting those guys on? Spark scores, intelligence, scheme fit, sure. But those guys had done it in the best conference in the country. Two of them played on the national championship team. One of them played, started two years and played a third on a team that always is up for the national championship. One of them played at Texas and transferred to Missouri, right? Like, those guys had done it. So, um in that regard, Harrison Bryant, four-year college player, ultra productive, hundred first tight end in college football in seven years to have a hundred catches. Went to the Senior Bowl, fit like he's done it. Right? Did they need to meet with him? Did they need to fly four guys to Boca to have a private workout to say Harrison Bryant is a fourth-round pick? No, there was a lot of evidence they took him there. So that will be interesting, but. Uh, again, kudos to everybody that made that happen. I think we all enjoyed having it go on. Um, I'm going to catch my breath for about a day and a half, and then I'm going to call you on Wednesday and say, got any ideas? Because I don't know what the hell to write. So. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be doing deep dives on top of the deep dives on some of these guys, I think, over the right. next couple of months. You're going to know everything is- about Jedrick. You're going to know stuff about Jedrick Wills that Jedrick Wills doesn't know about <laughs> Jedrick Wills. <laughs> Well, you've had the luxury. Now you're going to find out what the rest of us at The Athletic have been going through for the last six weeks of, okay, what do yes. we do now? Zach's hey, been man. off on his island going, hey, man, I got the draft. Screw you all. Well, <laughs> now you're on our island. <laughs> yes. No, I, 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 was, I don't know if I talked about this much on the pod. I don't think I did. Um, one day I just drove out to Youngstown to visit with Lynn Bowden. And, you know, I was only there a half hour. And obviously I couldn't shake his hand. I couldn't go in the house. Couldn't do any of that. But I was like, I, I need to go do, I need to like do my job. I need to feel this. And I got back on 76 and I went like 10 miles under the speed limit and just took my time getting home. But it was so freaking refreshing to yeah. not just sit there and write and look at the same charts or whatever. You know, it was, it was really nice to actually do that. Yeah. I'm curious not to get off on a tangent and get off of sports, but I'm curious to see what Ohio's going to look like after Friday. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like I said, I, well, I, think I, I think we'll have more answers later on today. Yeah, well, I think the the other part of the I don't know with that is, okay, they're going to lay out Friday or Monday or within that we're going to start this. But, you know, does that work? When do you get to the next phase of whatever right. it is that he says? Right. And that's the whole unknown. Like, I think baseball floated that Arizona plan as a way of saying, we know this is flawed. Let's gauge reaction. Let's see what we're missing. Right? Because they, they need to try. Yeah. And just, when there's so much uncertainty, it doesn't, you know, Again, Twitter arguments are always stupid. But everybody who's taking one cold, hard side of this or the other, like th- this is not drafting football players where there's always a certain amount of unknown. Like this is unknown in the world to how this is going to go and how it's going to affect people and how in, within a certain time frame you're going to get 250 people to have a four-week training camp. No one knows. Maybe it's great. Maybe there's testing. Maybe you just put them in a hotel and go. I don't know. No one does. 
Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it seems to me like baseball is the most adamant that they're going to play baseball to me has been the most aggressive of all of the sports of, of trying to come back. Obviously it hasn't really impacted the NFL yet in terms of on, on field process, but we're getting to that point and we'll see if baseball pulls this off. It, it's obviously going to have a, a dramatic impact on, on how the NBA, if, if the, I, I think the NBA regular season's over, if they come back, they're going to come back with just playoffs and then the NFL has the luxury right now of sitting back and seeing how the first two handle it in hockey. Let's put hockey in there as well, of course. And the the NFL has the luxury of seeing how everyone else handles it, seeing the pros and the cons, and then they can sit back and react. Yeah, no, time is definitely on the NFL side, but it's just so much different because of the facilities that you have to have and then just the number of people that you have to have, too. Um, Wrap this up and get us out of here. All right, so the Browns drafted seven guys, and normally um, you draft seven, you sign 10 or 14, you line up 30 tryouts, and you bring them in within two weeks, and you have a rookie minicamp, and you get them initiated, and then you sign three guys who were tryouts, and you drop three other guys, and you cut some veterans, and you start scanning the waiver wire and all this stuff. And indeed, instead, it's just a waiting pattern. So uh, they Jedrick Wills, you better believe, is on an iPad with Bill Callahan right now. Right. And they're reaching out to these guys. Uh, I know some undrafted guys have leaked and whatever, but we just don't know when, when they're going to get together and when they're going to get to the next phase. So um, the process part, like I said, I, I trust that they have followed their plans for the most part. I trust that for whatever reason or reasons, um, you know, going back to February when this group got together, they were willing to let the linebacker shape position shape out this way. They were willing to let the safety position shake out this way, and maybe Sheldrick Redwine is ready. Maybe Carl Joseph's going to be awesome. He's a really important player, I think, at this time uh, for this team. So we'll see, but it's the great unknown. Um, We thank you for listening. We thank you for reading, and we're going to keep covering the Browns um, like something's just around the corner, and hopefully it is. So with that in mind, for Jason, I'm Zach. Thank you for listening to Civilized Barking.